Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Global CTE Podcast. Today, we have a treat. My friend Patrick Brown is here from the Fort Zumwalt School District in Missouri. Now, just as a quick reminder, our goal here is to share best practices to highlight individuals across the country who are doing amazing things in the career and technical education space. Now, let me tell you about Pat. Pat brings a wealth of experience from both, from both practical and research-based background in education. He currently serves as the executive director of STEAM for one of the largest school districts in Missouri. He coordinates the district's curriculum and instruction for all STEAM and career and tech education programs. He has also taught science lessons across the K through 16 continuum. Pat is an accomplished writer having authored five books, including the, the NSTA bestselling series, Instructional Sequence Matters. He has also written more than 50 peer-reviewed articles. His research has been published in leading journals, including Science Education, the Journal of Science, Teacher Education, and the International Journal of Science Education. The combination of Pat's teaching and research experience has helped him better understand the type of professional learning needs to reach the vision of contemporary educational reform. Pat, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Sylvester. That was an amazing intro. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So as you can tell from my bio, I, I, I just love anything involved with learners and learning. So any way that, you know, we can create more equitable experiences for students to prepare them for the future, I, I'm all in. So 100%. I just, I just love it. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm excited to have this conversation with, um, with, with you having such a, a strong science background. And yeah. I'm curious how that scientific method, all of that scientific thinking applies to career tech education. And so, like, with that being said, how, how did you actually move into uh, your CTE leadership journey? How'd you get here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've come to learn that really all learners and, and uh, really possess a lot of the same skills. And it doesn't matter if it's science education or a program in career and technical education. There's some fundamental things that we need to have in place to really maximize learning, but also prepare kids for the reality of their worlds. So I think one of the biggest things that drives me is that I, I truly believe that all kids have high levels of knowledge and skill sets it's just a matter of sort of placing them in a situation where we, we own sort of honor their skills and their knowledge and we uh, show them occupations and careers that uh, they, can, they can be successful at using those, those abilities that they have. Yeah, I like, I like, how, you, I like how you said that. Um, and especially in this, in this digital world today, um, you know, everyone has a cell phone and pretty much the knowledge literally is at our fingertips. So I'm just curious your thoughts uh, from a leadership standpoint, how do we get students to move, well, students and teachers <laughs> to move <laughs> beyond teaching the facts or just being focused on the facts, but actually getting more students to learn by doing it? Like, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Knowledge is at our fingertips and it's it really is a global uh, economy where anybody that has the aspirations to make it in this world, they can do it, right? Um, with, with the advances in technology. 
I, th I think though the key has got to be focusing on developing students conceptual understanding and that's different than than just knowing the facts so that's going to be different for teachers and it's also certainly going to be different for students. So we've got to prepare kids to be able to develop understanding by by doing the norms that are valued in the areas and, and this is going to look different from for all the CTE pathways it's going to look different in, in science. But when I think about science and STEM, it's, it's learning those, those key ideas in science and STEM by, by doing science and STEM. So it's either using an inquiry approach to answer questions that they have about, about the world or using an engineering design process to, to basically solve problems about things that occur in, in students' everyday lives. So I think that's a big shift and really focusing on that conceptual understanding where kids, they, they not only sort of understand the concepts, but then they can use those ideas in new and different situations um, to solve, solve problems and, and to do inquiry on their own is really gonna be key. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying. And I know you personally are, are all about the hands-on experience of learning. Uh, are there any classes in particular uh, in the district that, that stand out to you that, that are shining examples of that? Yeah, well, we've got a whole host of them in science and STEM, but one, one that I'm really proud of that we've done in our business and marketing is we have a production class. So, and, and basically it's, it's, it is what it sounds like. Their goal is basically to run a, run a, a school store, pr produce um uh, produce things that are needed by the district and, and really sort of weigh sort of, you know, the cost, the profit margins and things like that to produce something um, that, that'll benefit that school community and benefit those students and those families. So it's 100% an example of learning by doing because the students really have to, you know, figure out a, a material or a product that is needed they need to think about the marketing angle for it. And then they really have to see that through all the way through from sort of the conceptualization of an idea to producing that, that end outcome. So what's, I mean, what's, an, what's an example of a, of a product or, you know, something that I'm curious, you said it's, it kind of starts with a community need. So I'm curious, can you give an example of, of something that the, the kids created? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, they do a, a whole bunch of different things from just uh, small things like car stickers to t-shirts. One of the really innovative ones is it, it's really sort of trendy right now to have signs when your students graduate. And I'd argue, you know, our kids see kids in other communities and other communities are celebrating this. So like, why don't we do that? And it's, it's so easy to do to print print out signs celebrating, you, you know, your graduating class or, or even your, your fifth grade graduating class. Um, and it's little projects like that that, um, that are easily manageable within sort of, a, you know, a high school course, but then also have really a huge impact, not only on sort of that student learning, but also just, just the community and sort of the, uh, you know, the, the culture of Fort Zumwalt, maybe to phrase it that way. I, I, and I, li I like that too, you know, because as a, as a parent, I'm sure it feels, it feels good to buy something that is supporting the students in the district, you know, where you're almost kind of creating your own ecosystem where 
you could go outside and buy that sign from someone else. But, you know, knowing that you're supporting these high school kids who are learning business and the whole approach, I love that. Um, and even more, I like that it's interdisciplinary. You, like when you, when you bring in the math part, it's like, okay, well, now you all have to understand the profit margin, uh, manufacturing, logistics, communication, customer service. They're really walking away with some great durable skills there. Absolutely. The math connection, 100%. The technical writing, too, 100%. So they've really got to sort of communicate what they're doing, you know, to the community, certainly to their principals and things like that that are overseeing it. So a lot of great ELA connections. And this is like the engineering design process, right? So they design prototypes. Uh, you know, I'll be the first to admit, not everything comes out. 100% as expected, <laughs> and they have to go back to the drawing board, but that that's sort of the beauty in it, you know, you hear you hear that saying like uh, fail forward, and that's, yes. that's truly what this class is, you know, it's a, it's a lot of maybe small, and I hate to call them failures, because it really is sort of a success, but it's these little hiccups that they have along the way to really get to a pretty refined product. Yeah, now that's, that's awesome. Now, Pat, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I want to ask you something. I was reading on your website yeah. on, Pat, on patbrownedu.com. And, and this statement stood out to me. It kind of ties into what you were just talking about. You said, I am deeply committed to finding ways to support teachers and moving towards more effective teaching environments. So I'm, I'm curious um, for our other CTE directors or leaders who are listening to this, how do you create the, the environment, um, you know, to, for a class like that to even thrive? You know, so I'm just curious, do you have any best practices around that? Yeah, absolutely. So really, my, my big thing is focusing on how we sequence instruction. And I, I call it explore before explain teaching. And it's very different for most teachers. Uh, the traditional sort of teaching script that's ingrained in, in most teachers is that uh, they do sort of a, a three-phase process where first they do their lecture. And after they do their lecture, kids have an opportunity to sort of practice those ideas in the lecture. And then they have additional practice. And I've kind of flipped that script to where really the exploration comes first. Mm. Um, and they're actually doing those ideas. And it's not until kids really have started to develop an understanding by doing that the teacher starts, you know, weaving in some ideas that are not easy to discover firsthand. So a lot of my work with, with teachers is, is looking at their sort of instructional script. And, and historically in the U.S., it's typically pretty traditional uh, and sort of taking that piece where they're actually learning by doing and moving that up front in the instructional script. So I, I realize maybe I've said a lot there, but that's how I do it with teachers. We really look at just a, what I call an explore before explain process. And it starts really by, by the learning by doing, and then sort of introducing the ideas in light of kids' firsthand experiences. I, I like to think of it as, as, as a iteration versus invention. So we're sort of iterating on an instructional script that uh, teachers are used to doing versus inventing something all brand new that they're totally not used to doing. Does that make sense? It, it, no, it, it does. And I think it is just, it, it, it's so like forward thinking that, 
it chat like you just said it challenges the norm the instructional norm you know like however knowing this the gen z kids like it's right on the money for what for what will work to keep them engaged and for them to to go deeper or, or have the desire to want to go deeper with the knowledge or the subject matter because they're experiencing it like firsthand um do you how do you push that message through to teachers who who are not new teachers right like yeah. how do you <laughs> that's i think that's the struggle you know it's like you get set your ways like oh i've been doing it this way for so long how do you you know how do you wrap that into yeah. something nice <laughs> You know, I, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's always, it's my philosophy really to, to uh, for teachers to experience this firsthand. So I will do these sorts of explore before explain teachers so they can feel what it feels like to develop conceptual understanding by doing. So that, that a lot of times is powerful. I also advocate with teachers, start where it's easiest. Don't start with the hardest topic that you know. Pick the easiest one you know and, and start there. And what teachers tend to find is, is number one, that the, the kids are, are more motivated. They're really engaged by it, and, and it feels different for the kids. They're really, uh, they, they, uh, it creates this need-to-know situation for kids when they're exploring first, and they really sort of want to figure out sort of the, the ideas or come up with problem solving um, possibilities. Um, and, and that part is highly engaging. Uh, the other piece I think that teachers find that they appreciate is well, well, it does take more planning up front. This explanations that they used to give that were like this, now their explanations are like this. They're like a lot smaller and the, the, and the ideas are sticking with the kids. They're sticking with the kids throughout the whole class which uh, for teachers that are sort of joining this like explore before explain community, they're realizing like the benefits are huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, for motivational, developing the long lasting understanding. Um, and then the planning, while it's a different type of planning, they get used to it pretty quick on how to do it. So that lesson, can you give me an example of a lesson, like how that would look like the, ex the ex exploration is first and then the explaining part, like, can you give me a specific kind of example? Yeah, you know, this is a great one. We actually just did this with personal finance. We did a big teacher professional development uh, sort of experience for our personal finance teachers. They're, they were used to teaching it in a very traditional way where we'd look at like a lot of different sources of income, sources of outcome, and we do some balancing things uh, to see like, is your income sort of matching the outcome? And we got to realize, you know, kids, they have money, they have expenses, right? Why are we telling these kids like income outcome? Why not just unpack their lived experiences? Okay. You know, and they all have different lived experiences. Some of them pay for their cell phones. Some of them don't. Some of them pay for their gas. Some of them don't. Um, and it, you know, it gets really interesting too, when, you know, like, like now with gas prices changing, it totally changes sort of your understanding of, of money and dollars. If you have to pay for these things and sort of the cost of them are, are changing over time. So, I mean, that's just a small example, but that I was like, it. I like it. I like you it know? though, because I, so you're, so you're telling, okay, 
the the kids, let's break down your personal budget. Like what, what are you spending money on? And let's, yeah. let's document that so that then you really, you really do personalize the finance part yeah. of it. And then, yeah. you, and then you come behind that and teach the best practices like, Oh, you know, 20% on a car of a budget and 30% like that kind of stuff. Yeah. We, you know, we'd look definitely like, you know, how well does your percentages sort of match a percentages that we know will sort of uh, allow you to sustain sort of a, a livable yeah. uh, way. And you throw other variables in there. Okay. So you want to go to college, like, or, yeah. you know, what sort of job would you need to help support that? Yeah. Or you want to move to another part of the country, you know, yeah. what's the cost of living look like there? So it, it really sort of, um, you know, I'm, I'm very big on sort of using the assets that all kids bring, and, and this does that. So it, it definitely, number one, it differentiates instruction because every kid sort of has different experiences with it, but then it's also going to leverage what that kid knows, and it's going to... Um, it's going to either validate some of their ideas or it's mm -hmm. going to confront some of their ideas, which is not a bad thing. That's like if they thing. think, yeah. you know, if they think, it's, you know, uh, that, that they're going to be able to live off maybe minimum wage, but they want a brand new car, they want yeah. to live on their own, they don't want to live with their parents. Yeah. Uh, we're going to confront some of their misconceptions really about like how far does $12 an hour really go? Uh, which is a good thing, you know, and that's, that's great, Pat. That is, I mean, I, I, I love that. Now you, you said something, I don't want to pass cause I want to come back to it. Um, you, is this something that is, um, is done in other countries, educational systems, because you said you spoke to our traditional U S education system. So like, have you seen this somewhere else or are you seen this model somewhere yeah. else? You know, that's really interesting because I was just writing to somebody and talking about the books I cite the most. And I have them on my bookshelf. One is called The Teaching Gap. And it just looks like at the instructional sequences used in Germany, Japan versus the U.S. Um, and, and there are differences in sort of the instructional scripts that they use. You know, some of these other countries and definitely like Finland. And the Finnish education system, it's more phenomena-based and project or problem-based, where it's really starting with the big idea and then sort of uh, looking at the curriculum is, how am I going to sort of address these big ideas, these phenomena, or these problems, um, and let the curriculum sort of emerge more organically from it? And, and that's just not always the way that we do it here. Uh, it's much more traditional where we sort of, we might start with a phenomena, but then we jump in and we want to explain about it. But, you know, what we see more maybe from an international perspective is more, more the kids digging in and doing that background piece before the teacher sort of jumps in and enhances the learning with explanation. Yeah, I like that. I figured you you were doing some international research on that, you know, just from my own personal, uh, you know, studies of looking at how they do things in Finland. I figured you you may you may come come back to that. With that being said, I'm I'm curious. Uh, can we talk a little about like understanding by design and backward design and how you know how that applies to CTE? I don't know if you want to add any more yeah. context to that part. 
Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because it really plays uh, plays a, a key role. So when we're thinking about conceptual understanding and designing a curriculum and even this explore before explain, it really starts with targeting the, the conceptual understanding that you want kids to develop. And that's really the key in instruction or understanding by, by design or backward design, because once you've targeted that conceptual understanding, that really becomes key in, in how you're planning. So from a teacher perspective, there's a lot of important questions you've got to ask. You've got to ask, well, what sort of activities am I, am I going to develop that will allow kids to uh, to achieve that conceptual understanding? Uh, what sort of activities can kids do on their own? What kind of activities do or explanations do I need to introduce? So all of everything we're talking about, really, it, it all comes together in a process and that backward design it really helps teachers sort of hone in on that conceptual understanding that that they think is key and then sort of develop the curriculum uh you know from that i like it i like it and you feel like that applies that can apply to to all cte programs absolutely absolutely i think you know it, it can get more tricky because especially like I oversee our engineering and industrial technology programs. And it's probably not safe for kids to just start welding without any procedural explanation, but they can think about it from a design perspective. They can do a lot of modeling on paper. They can figure out angles. They can figure out sort of uh, definitely, uh, you know, the properties of different metals that are used in this uh, before they actually physically weld. And a teacher, part of that explanation can be, it's at 100% should be safety and it can be procedural, but let's have kids construct some of that knowledge about like the proper angles for doing this, the proper temperatures, the proper metals to use before they really sort of get that explanation of the safety and their procedurals. I'll argue once the kids sort of construct that initial understanding, the procedural stuff is going to stick a lot better because now they have a conceptual framework for really incorporating it. Yeah, yeah, now that 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 makes sense, and that goes a that goes a long way when they have that framework on how, um, on how it all comes together. But now that you mentioned welding, okay, yeah, you took it you took it back to science. You're right there, welding. I don't think there's a better example of welding of science and career in tech education. So like. What's the in, the intersection between STEAM and CTE? How how do we prepare more students for some people may say STEM or STEAM careers, um, you know, through our CTE programs? Any thoughts on it? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I really think one thing that we're seeing is less of sort of like a, a a sort of a content area sort of operating on its own and more of sort of this overlap. And, um, and, and that, that I think is really critical. We've got to start thinking of CTE as it 100% includes STEAM, but it also includes uh, ELA. And what I'll argue is the technical reading that kids need to do in most of the CTE areas, especially engineering and industrial design, it's the hardest reading those kids are going to do. Uh, so we really need to be thinking about a new way of preparing kids in those CTE areas, especially in the types of reading that they do, mm -hmm. because it's very, I mean, you think about a manual, it's very technical, it's very uh, sort of uh, vocabulary dense. 
Um, and it's really learning how to read in context. You know, it's learning how to do math in context. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think we see some amazing things with math and CTE where sometimes kids don't do so well in traditional math class, but then you get them out there, you know, building a house and they're using geometry in context, right? So really thinking about some of these core areas more situated sort of in the CTE fields, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I th think the other thing we're going to see is definitely the overlap between the STEAM and the CTE. So even engineering and industrial technology, those areas are becoming so computer science driven mm -hmm. and robotics is in there. Um, it, it's really that the kids need they don't have to be experts in computer science or experts in robotics, but they do need to sort of understand some of the knowledge in those areas. Yeah, that's that's good. That um, thank you for sharing that in, that insight, um, especially coming from your, your your science background. I think you you really hit the nail on the head. Like how it's it's the overlap, and it's it's not teaching in silos, but it is figuring out how do you teach that math in context or um, or the ELA, you know, that that kind of thing in context. You made me think there's a school that uh, we work with, one of our curriculum partners in Evanston, and they have an algebra and entrepreneurship class, right? And it's a very successful class where the kids, um, like they use our curriculum to, to work on their businesses, to come up with business ideas, but then they're doing in context, like you said, the math part, the profit margin, the percentages. Um, so they're still learning that math and actually gets them excited about learning math because they've personalized the learning to something that the kids care about. And I think that really, that really, we need more of that, and more of the thinking that um, in the way that, that, that you do with, with your classes and your teachers and programs. Now you told me before uh, before we started recording, you were telling me about uh, a, a new partnership that you have with GM. And I'm, I'm just curious, what, like, what role do you think CTE education plays in terms of preparing students for the, the current needs of the community in terms of the workforce? Just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So at Fort Zumwalt, we're, I mean, really responsive to the needs in the community. And we've developed a, a whole bunch of different programs to get kids basically to match sort of their skill set and their knowledge with um, with areas that, that uh, not only are high wage, high need, but also areas that we feel like would just be very fulfilling for people. So uh, an exciting new partnership is with General Motors. So we have, you know, skill, uh, a lot of engineering classes, a lot of industrial tech, and we're looking at, you know, both an apprenticeship model with General Motors, but also direct uh, employment. They uh, offer a very competitive wage and, uh, you know, depending on sort of a, a kid's sort of uh, post-secondary desires, we try to sort of plug them into either, you know, a very competitive direct employment Type, type situation or an apprenticeship or an internship. So I think we have four to six students right now at General Motors, I mean, which is great. Four of them are doing an internship, four of them are, you know, direct employment. But um, I mean, these, these were students that, that 
didn't know that 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 was an opportunity. Some of them didn't uh, didn't really have solid plans after high school, and now you know they're working at like General Motors, which is a high wage, high need uh, you know occupation. We we do this same thing with a lot of smaller companies. So we have you know six to eight kids at a, a carpentry and millwork uh, mm -hmm. company, and then we also have. Uh, some kids at, at, at uh, advanced manufacturing and, and metal work. So, you know, it's, it's really thinking more, uh, more about the individual kid than like whole large groups of kids, because we're taking single kids and we're placing them in areas that we think uh, that they can be very successful. That's great. With, with, with that being said, I, you just sparked like two questions for me there. Um, <laughs> How logistically for someone who's hearing this and they're like, how, how do you establish a partnership with GM? Like, how are you doing this? Like, can you just share a little of the logistics? Are they reaching out to the school district or, you know, someone on your team, you are actively seeking these partnerships out? Yeah, that's a great question. Now with GM, they sought us out, but, um, what it, it really sparked, though, from the other work that we were already doing with two employers where we had developed apprenticeship programs and word kind of spread within sort of that manufacturing group that, hey, we, we really want to sort of place kids, um, you know, that have this desire and this skill set. And uh, we were lucky enough that sort of GM came to us, but it really I think it came out of other conversations that these manufacturers were having about us you know, having sought them out and sort of placed them. See, I, I, I think you're hitting on something in terms of even the marketing of, of your school district's programs to industry and making sure you have those relationships. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that's important for, um, for leadership uh, in, in career tech education to, to stay involved in or connected with industry partners so that you can be in position to pipeline your kids into internships or to, um, you know, to, into work opportunities. Um, now you, you also said something, Pat, that I thought was interesting. Like you say, you're placing individual kids. I'm curious, how do you measure success? What does success look like for you in terms of uh, having a successful CTE program? What's, how do you measure that or define Boy, that? That's a tough one. Uh, definitely placing uh, students like those, the examples I gave you directly sort of in apprenticeships or direct employment it, is one. Uh, we look closely at two sort of post-secondary placement in either two-year, four-year institutions. So I think that's always really telling too, the number of kids that sort of take multiple courses in one of mm -hmm. our programs and then go on uh, to post-secondary education and sort of uh, do that. Um, so I think that that's a success. I, I think personally, it's a success, any kid that takes a CTE course. So yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I think it's great when sort of a kid is validated, you know, if they're in our health science pathway and that it sort of validates for them. Yes, I really do want to be a doctor. I want to be a physical therapist. But I also think it's great when kids learn what they don't want to do. And then they jump to another CTE program. Yeah. Because that's one of my goals is that just every kid will try something. 
you know, if you're not sure what, you know, we have great guidance departments, either even I'll help you, but let's look at what you're interested in. Let's give it a try. Let's do it early, like in their high school career, like when they're freshmen or sophomores, so that if it isn't a good fit, we can jump to something else and take a few courses in those areas. I think that's going to be key too. Um, it is really sort of setting kids up when they leave sort of K-12, sort of on a pathway where they have some um, some evidence that that not only do they like it, but they're successful at it. Um, and I'd love to see that for more students. Yeah, that's 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 solid, Pat. Um, that really is. And we and we need more. We need more of all of that. Um, I like how you just framed it too. the success is in in the trying, especially like when they're in middle school, high school. It's the time to explore, to see what what piques your interest, uh, what careers are connected to that or or like what you're not interested in. So you can know so you can know that last question, last question. What is your vision for the future of career and technical education? Oh, gosh, that's a big one. Yeah, I've kind of touched on a lot of it, but I, you know, I think that the integration with the other areas is key. Uh, I, I think right now, you know, if you look at most schools course guides, it, they'll have sort of sections in the core areas. So a section on science, a section on ELA, a section on social studies. And I, I kind of see a lot of that flipping, like almost like, okay, here's a section on health science what uh, ELA do you need? What social studies do you need? What mathematics do you need to be most effective in this area? Or similarly, you know, a section on really engineering and industrial tech, which which mathematics courses are going to best prepare you? Which sort of English language arts sort of courses are going to best prepare you? So I think, you know, we talk about breaking down the silos, and I I don't feel like we've don't feel like we're there yet with CTE. And we really need to show like how all those other courses not only complement, but they really sort of elevate your ability to be successful in those CTE areas by uh, engaging in them. Yeah, 100%. I like how you frame that. And it we're getting there, but it is it is a slow, (laughs) it is a slow move, but making it more interdisciplinary and something you touched on earlier that I really loved is is teaching those other things in context to um, the career pathway or or you know, to that or to that CTE subject matter area, uh, and that helps personalize it and makes it not just English for the sake of English, but uh, you need to understand this technical language or vocabulary that's related to uh, to IT or to welding and that sort of thing. So, Pat, thank you so much for uh, for sharing all your insights, man. This is a great conversation, as I knew it would be, around STEAM and CTE. You share some great things around instructional design. I love it. Um, for those of you who are listening, listening, Pat does a lot of professional development. He's written books on this subject matter. So if you want to connect with them, Pat, tell, tell them how they can, can reach you. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I'm very active on Twitter, so definitely follow me at Twitter. It's uh, at BrownPatrick8. Uh, check out my website. It's patbrownedu.com. So you can really learn 
sort of about all my scholarship interests and just the different activities I'm involved with. So Sylvester knows how to get a hold of me too. I just, <laughs> I love collaborating. So please reach out. Thanks again, Pat. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it and share it with a friend. And as I always say, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Peace.